Coming up, a Sad Styles production. Hello and welcome. My name is Mikey Aaronworth, signing on to the sign off of Frameworth Podcast for yet another week. It's the podcast where we talk about all the stories you didn't know you wished you knew about the world of sports and sports marketing. I am joined in studio once again by Brian Aaronworth, president of Frameworth Sports Marketing, who hasn't seemed to learn his lesson about what happens when you travel over to Florida the day or two before a recording. Feeling a little toasty again? No, I'm, I'm okay today. I had a day to recover. A day to recover. Okay, okay. <laughs> he's got uh, uh, some parting that he's doing down there. Obviously, you get, you get out of Toronto, and we've been a little bit uh, uh, sheltered here, I think, for a while between the weather and all the restrictions, and you kind of get to let loose and well, make up for two years of last time. I actually time. had a, uh, a job to do down there. We did a new signing with uh, a new Frameworth exclusive Blue Jay pitcher. Uh, he's going to be a big, well, he is a big star already. Won his first game in New York against the Yankees, Alec Manoa. Yeah. Great, great kid. Had a lot of fun with that. And uh, you can follow him and uh, I'll get his uh, Instagram and all that later. But you'll see new product coming out shortly. Yeah, he gave uh, gave Frameworth a nice shout out on his Instagram as well. So oh, he if did. you're following okay, both of us, yeah. Uh, always feels a little bit nice and he seemed like a great guy. It seemed like it went well. Uh, and, uh, you know, only good things to come. I think it's been a while since we've been in, as involved with the Blue Jays as we'd like to be. They obviously had a great run a few years back where we were uh, had relationships to a few of the players. Seems like we're getting back to that level of relationship with the team and with the league. So exciting things to come right. from there. Speaking of signings that we recently had as of recording yesterday we had Campbell Jack Campbell in for a signing and we're going to be giving away a signed 8x10 Jack Campbell photo in honor of that to one of our loyal listeners who as I keep mentioning at the top of every episode every time you go out there and you share some of the love and, and support of this podcast whether it's through a uh, an iTunes review a subscription a Spotify rating any of those things it goes a very long way and that's why we show this love and we've got a review from Apple Podcasts today uh, from SW, SW Smith 88 via Apple Podcasts. Five stars, the title just starting. As I just started to build my collection, the information you discuss on your podcast is very informative and interesting. As a Leafs fan, the ultimate Leafs fan was great. Thank you for your stories. Well, hey, as a Leafs fan, you're about to get a Jack Campbell signed 8x10 photo. All you have to do is reach out to signoffpod at frameworth.com. Let us know your shipping details and we'll get that sent out to you right away. You got 30 days from the drop of this episode, so uh, good luck to you and thanks for listening again tell some friends if they leave reviews or if you want to put yourself out there to potentially receive some free product what better way than to take two minutes out of your day and tell us how much you love the podcast uh but we've got too good of a guest to keep waiting any longer in the wings uh someone who i'm very excited to speak to Uh, our guest this week is a man whose name you should know but is humble enough to be okay with the fact that instead you may know the names of some of the lives he's worked to shape over his career a lifetime baseball and hockey coach and a maritime sports hall of fame inductee he's helped build and shape the community which fostered the likes of Sidney crosby i introduce to you today paul mason paul thank you for joining us today well, thank you for having me, Mikey and Brian. Very, thank you. Very excited to have you on the podcast. It's it's almost become tradition at the beginning of this podcast when uh, uh, someone either mentions my mustache or I mention their mustache, and the two of us <laughs> teaming up together, finally making my dad feel as though he's missing out and not having one. He's going to yeah. have to grow one eventually, uh, but it looks better on you than it does on me. Uh, Rod Black mentioned on a recent episode that he he missed his as well. So look at us carrying the torch. <laughs> yeah, it's it's always been on my face. It's never been off. So it, it feels like a like a maritime 
wartime staple. I went to university out there and uh, and and I feel like this is a, a part of me. I, I mentioned carrying the torch earlier. Speaking of uh, carrying the torch, Sidney Crosby did that through Halifax prior to the Olympics at one point, and, and he will become, I think, kind of a staple talking point over the course of this episode. But I don't want to spend the entire episode talking about Sydney, a player and, and, uh, whom you coached for a few years in both baseball and hockey. Let's start, though, uh, by talking a little bit about you and how you got your start in the world of sports uh, and what, what your background is. So why don't you start by uh, your relationship to the two sports that you coach so much, baseball and, and hockey? Sure. Um, back in 1979, actually, my father was coaching a minor ball team and asked me if I'd come help out with it. So I helped him and uh, and then stayed with it since then. I still coach baseball. I'm coaching um, Team Nova Scotia, actually. We're heading up to Ontario for nationals this summer. Um, but I've been coaching ball since 1979, primarily um, 10 to 14 years old. Um, and after the summer, one of the parents on the um, team asked me to uh, if I was interested in coaching hockey that mm-hmm. winter. So I helped out uh, that winter in 79-80 and um, just took off from there. And I primarily, people know me from coaching peewee hockey in Cole Harbor and um, different ball associations in so baseball, baseball was where you got your start. Eh? It wasn't uh, one in the same. Was your dad was primarily baseball as well? Did he coach any hockey at the same time? No, he helped out, uh, but he didn't coach hockey. Um, my oldest brother actually, um, and a friend of his, coached hockey for a couple of years in Cole Harbor. But uh, for me, you know, it was mostly um, that I was a lover of all sports. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was that uh, once I coaching, I was hooked on it. I played as well at the same time. And um, it, but coaching really is my love. There was times that I was coaching three teams, both at ball and hockey in the same season. Like it, it, it was uh, busy. <laughs> I've, I've, I've read a, a lot about that, you know, kind of uh, learning about your profile. Not only were you coaching three teams at one point, but also you had a full-time job as a principal of a, of a junior high school. Is that right? Yeah, it was uh, when I was coaching uh, the three hockey teams, it was a P to nine, primary to nine school. Um, Yeah. So it was, uh, and it just, I didn't intend to (laughs) coach three teams that one year coaching three hockey teams. My daughter's a pretty accomplished ring up player. And uh, I was coaching peewee hockey team and uh, the junior high aspect of the school I was in didn't have a hockey team and so of course I wanted to get a hockey team started there and so I said okay I'll coach it so that was my second team and then my daughter just said dad I want to play hockey too at the high school but we don't have a coach so Mm -hmm. that year I coached (laughs) uh, the peewee team the Auburn Drive girls high school hockey team and uh uh, the junior high team and actually earlier in her career when she thought she wanted to convert at peewee girls she said dad if i go to hockey will you coach and i said yeah okay so i was same thing helping out with my son's adam team coaching the peewee triple team and i also put in for the peewee girls team but my daughter decided at the last minute that she didn't want to play hockey so i coached the girls team but 
I didn't have a kid on that or the PWG. <laughs> <laughs> have a hard time saying no. Yeah, and a lot of people want you to say yes. So is it, I get the sense it's it's primarily within Coal Harbor. Have you ever been asked to coach a team outside of Coal Harbor, or have you coached any teams outside? Yeah, I did some of the back in the provincial programs and spring hockey and uh, before. I guess I, I you can call me foolish or whatever, but I actually <laughs> lost lost money coaching spring hockey. So we had we we did it. We just at the end of the season would take kids that we didn't even have tryouts. We just said these were the top kids. We'd pick them and we'd go to tournaments in Ontario and Quebec and back. And that was before spring hockey even hit uh, around here. There's a guy in New Brunswick, Charlie Bourgeois, who's become very successful from spring hockey programs. But um, we actually started, believe it or not, before he did. Um, but we just we didn't make it a it was more of a rewarding the top players and giving them an opportunity to play against teams stronger competition now it it seems as though uh at that you know you mentioned losing money coaching i mean not only are you losing all the time that's involved in coaching three teams and and doing your regular job and 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 going across i mean at this point you're going across canada if you're playing teams in ontario but at a certain point in your life you must have made a decision to Focus your time and efforts on molding the lives of the kids that you're coaching. You mentioned around the ages of 10 to 14, as opposed to focusing on uh, potentially your career. Was was that ever a thought that maybe you could go pro or was it more community focused for you? Was was the intention always to grow those around you as opposed to focus on your own growth? Um, I think I, like I, I was offered a couple of the mid major triple a major teams people ask me if i would coach them but i i never i really enjoy the minor hockey aspect and seeing the growth of um like this year i have a young team that we started out struggling in, but you can we, we really grew quite a bit this year and a uh, great group of kids and um that is the satisfying point you know i'm not a uh I'm, I'm a minor hockey coach, Pee Wee minor hockey coach. I, you know, I had to dust up my resume after seeing Martin St. Louis get hired. They right. Hired coach, but, uh, Maybe you were the next call. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think if, if someone ever called me to come to the pros from Pee Wee, I'd hey, consider it. But. That might be the only way you'd get, uh, you know, you might be the only one that could get Sydney. Well, not the only one. Sydney would you know, obviously because his dad would have played Montreal, you get the Montreal job. He might've moved over there. Yeah. I think you stay in Pittsburgh for a while longer though. Well, that's, I mean, that's important to bring up. Uh, we, we mentioned Sydney and I mentioned him at the top of the episode. I wanted to kind of uh, 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 lay out this profile of you and your coaching experience, but obviously one of the things that, that, uh, that, that has been so significant about the impact that you've had, not only on Cole Harbor, but on the world of hockey is the relationship that you build with Sidney Crosby and his family as well. Uh, coached him in both baseball and in hockey to the point where Sydney looks at you, and this this may come as a surprise to, to people who, who haven't heard uh, your name spoken uh, prior to this, but he listed you as the coach who most influenced him in his career. At the age of 10 to 14, 10 to 13, I believe, when you coached him, what was it about your relationship with Sydney and the teachings that you imparted on him and maybe your relationship to the family that would have him say something like that? Um, that's, that's Sydney. Sydney's, you know, he's kind, you know, uh, I'll straighten that out right now. You know, Sydney wouldn't say 
someone asked him to coach that influence. And, you know, I, it's humbling to, for him to say me, but in actual fact, uh, it's his father. Uh, for mm. anyone who knows Sydney and his family, his father had a tremendous impact on on Sydney. And I think, um, I think Sydney, you know, the fact that uh, I had an impact on him, I, I, people ask me quite a bit about coaching and people say, you know, you had an impact. Well, I, I don't, I hope I did, but mm-hmm. it's up to each individual player to decide who impacted them or helped them. And it could be anything because there's sometimes, and you get it in the teaching from the teaching profession, you know, I quite often have kids come back when they became adults and say some things like, you know, you say, Mr. Mason, you know, you really impacted me. And at times you're shaking your head going, Oh my God, I can't believe that that, that is the kid who came back to see me because you know, I might've been a little hard on them than <laughs> I thought. Um, so, you know, I'm very honored by it. And it, uh, when he said that in his Olympic profile, you know, my, uh, my phone started ringing a little more from <laughs> asking for more stuff than that, but it, uh, no missed calls from the Montreal Canadians. Though, yeah. No, nothing <laughs> like that. No. You know what though? You're too humble, Paul, because you, and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, we both know Troy pretty well. You a lot better than I known him a lot longer. Um, but you know, he has nothing but, uh, the very highest regards for you. And I think as a probably, and, and I'm just guessing here cause I don't know for a fact, but I would think that as, as a combination between father who knew hockey really well, obviously being drafted by the Montreal Canadians and, and you with coaching skills, put the two together, you either would we're going to work really well together or it was going to be banging heads and it ended up working really well together. And I think that combination, I think was, was probably the biggest influence on Sydney in his younger years. For Interesting. Sure. Is there, is there a balancing act that you have to perform, especially when you're, you're dealing with kids from the age of 10 to 13, their parents have not let them go yet. Is there a balancing act between getting the kids in line and, and managing that relationship with the parents? It's, it's funny because we, we just talked about this the other night in the rink. It's changed drastically. Um, the parents' expectations. So back, let's back up 25 years ago. If, if a kid forgot their jersey, let's say, at home, parents wouldn't have gone home to get the jersey. They would have said, and we would have said, you know, you can't play. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have your jersey. But the kid would you know, now you couldn't text back then or whatever. Anyhow. Right. Right. But there was a value in learning. Forget your Jersey. You, you know, you won't forget next time. If you right. sit in one game, isn't going to hurt you. Nowadays, they'll forget their Jersey. And I can assure you, my kid, he coaches with me now. He would say that if I forgot my Jersey, he told the kids, my dad never would have went home and got it. Even if I would have told him in advance. Right. He would have said to me, you got to pack your gear, your responsibility. You get it there if you really want to play. Then, and that's my belief. Nowadays, that has changed drastically. So there is a huge shift um, in that. Um, and a big part of what we coach and teach at all times is responsibility. The, right. You know, our, dress, our dressing room, how clean it is at the end of a game or how the kids act in the stands. And that, that is, that is, what we that is most important part it's part of the discipline and you know funny i think i've told this story before but we went out to your shop 
you have a shop out in the in the rink out there uh, called Top Shelf, and so we brought Eddie Shack, uh, God bless him, when he was alive to do a signing out there. Yeah, and I was standing with Troy Crosby outside the shop, and some mother comes by with a little kid, and she's dragging the kid's equipment. And Troy looked at me, says, "Never would have happened for Sydney." What do you mean? He would always carry his own equipment. That was part of the game. That's part of the culture. Yeah. And it wasn't going to be babied by his mother yeah. to to carry his equipment for him. And I thought, you know, that's, that's well, I'm an old school guy. So that's the way I like to think. You don't baby the kids. There's life lessons every time you go to the rink, every, everywhere you go. It's, and that's, that's what, what they th- taught. That's what the karate kid is all about, right? Yes. Everything is a lesson you impart. I, 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 and I think there is this kind of butting of heads of, of the ways in which children are raised now. Some might call it coddling and the ways in which athletes have to be raised in order to not to, to punish them, but to learn a sense of self-respect and self-responsibility. Paul, have you found that during this process of the, the essential see change in our mentality of raising children that you've had to change. I know I talked about your relationship with the parents, but have you changed your coaching mentality around that at all? Or have you tried to remain consistent in that regard? Um, I would, uh, I would definitely be considered probably the most old school. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, I've changed and I hope I've changed, you know, part of, part of is changing. You have to change with the, with the time. And it's not just in that aspect. I think it's within the game. It's within, uh, how you approach kids, how you, your consequences, how you run a practice. Um, if you're not always learning, I guess, as, as a coach and as a, um, and as the way you teach them outside of hockey, um, you're failing kids. In my mm-hmm. opinion. What is, what is the, the, I hesitate to call it harshest, but maybe our listeners would like to hear this. What is the most strict, punishment you've handed out to Sydney in his early playing days. Maybe he forgot his Jersey. Maybe he, maybe he missed a, uh, a, an assignment in practice. What, what, what's something that you put him through that maybe he looks back on and, uh, and, and gets a chuckle out of. Um, I can probably say in Peewee, we were at the Quebec Peewee tournament and we were playing an exhibition game against, uh, the Los Angeles Kings. Actually, the goaltender was, um, Goldie Hawn's son. Oh. Um, and but he played in the all-star game in the as a goaltender but he played for the la junior kings and yeah, it was a one goal game and uh uh sydney and our top defenseman who also played in the queue um were button heads on the bench to the point that i sat the both from the rest of the game uh and you know, I know a lot of people didn't like that um, <laughs> because <laughs> those were my two best players, or two oh, of my geez. best players, Sydney for sure. And uh, you know, you didn't have to punish Sydney. Sydney was so driven; like he, it hasn't changed. Right. First time right. I saw him was uh, someone told me to come to the rink and see this kid playing at novice. I just happened to watch him, and uh, but when once you coach him in any sport. And any, anyone will say the same thing. He's he, he driven to win. And, um, you know, and the fact that he got in an argument uh, on the bench with another player would have been in, in so, pursuit of victory. So here's, here's an interesting thought. So I don't want to get you in trouble with Troy. But, <laughs> so knowing Troy was, and I want to know how this, because I know Troy, he probably would have been over there. What are you thinking sitting my kid out for, or did he? And oh, if he yeah. did... When you explained it to him, was he okay with that? We had a conversation. It, it, 
it wasn't bad. It was just yeah. that afterwards he was one, you know, as any parent would, he wanted to know what was going on. Right. And I said, look, it, it was, it was the argument. It wasn't, uh, uh, that, that, but that was, you know, you didn't have to worry about Sydney. Sydney was there yeah. to win and, and play the game. But Troy, I definitely had a conversation afterwards. Like, well, you know, he'd want to know why, but I think yeah. he'd probably be very accepting when you explained it to him. Sure. Yeah. There, well, put it this way. It never, it never carried over. I think yeah, anytime I, I've been a parent in the stands and my kids are there and you're wondering, and I think having coached, I, I'd react in a certain way, but I would certainly not hesitate in asking why. Um, yeah, yeah. And, you know, Troy came to me afterwards and wanted to know what was going on. And, um, you know, sure, at the end of it, completely understood. Cause yeah, was for sure. Friends. Now, it's curious because Sidney often says about himself in interviews that, uh, you know, he was never the most skilled. He was never this, he was never that. And there's, there's obviously an element of downplaying how talented he actually was, but he, you know, compares himself to like a a grinder who just, who just worked his way up to being as good as he is. Is there truth to that? Or did you know immediately that this kid at, at 10 years old had something not just special, but, but almost generational about him? I I knew that he was, really good when you know, we watched him novice like i mean novice kids generally just took the puck and tried to go through everyone or you know i remember being at the rink the first time i'll never forget seeing it and he's here he is going wide but he's looking for someone um like his mind for the game i think uh-huh. he has grown it but his mind and his ability to see the game is exceptional like, even back then you know, back then and his work habits are incredibly exceptional you know you we had a, another player come through here um nathan mckinnon his skating ability was exceptional right like just beyond um on the power um sydney worked on and not to say nathan didn't but that was something sydney worked on every aspect of his game to become better as far as when we knew again it was probably the first year we went to the quebec peewee tournament mm-hmm. there was a kid named i think it was remy a boy and I, I can't quite remember the name but he was the kid that everyone in peewee back then was he was highlighted in the papers there as this sure. is the kid to watch and we went and watched him of course and i remember going to patrick Dom, the farming coordinator and saying to him you know you got a kid who's better and, and huh. I can tell you, he's not even Pee <laughs> and Sydney, you know, I'm like, yeah, sure. And Sydney went out and got six goals and four, four assists. In the day. Wow. There you go. That's your 10 point. That's why they called him Daryl, but yeah. I never knew he did it. Well, I guess yeah. he would have in the junior years. Sure. That's- but I, uh, he did it in junior, I believe as well, but he did it with the, uh, or maybe he didn't. I don't know. But he did it back then. We, I know I his teammates gave, used to joke that that you know yeah. he was. They called him, his nickname was Daryl back yeah. then, and actually yeah. Daryl Sittler was in here the other day, and at one point I think Sydney had stitched the name Daryl into his gloves. Oh wow! Uh, it, here I think either once or whatever it was. So yeah. we're checking out his game used gloves that I have around here to see if he still does it. So Daryl. He says, if you do, I'll buy a pair of gloves. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, we we had Daryl on episode one of this podcast, and we actually had the opportunity to ask him, like, did you know that Sydney's nickname was Daryl? And he was familiar with the fact that that was Sydney's nickname, but it surprised me to learn they'd never met. 
or, huh. or, or no, they had met one time, yeah. one time, and, and it wasn't as as early as you would have thought. But we're constantly kind of amazed by that at the number of uh, modern day superstars who are still itching to meet their their past heroes in hockey. Uh, you know, Sydney will be on the other side of that one day. I'm sure there will be another young superstar saying, "I can't wait until the day I met him." And there already are those those players in the league. You mentioned Paul uh, uh, briefly there, Nathan McKinnon, obviously coming out of Cole Harbor as well, and. I that must have been a pretty exciting time. I, not not that they played so close to one another, but close enough that there would have been two outstanding prospects uh, within a relatively short time. Now, Cole Harbor has been, uh, especially in your estimation, you go, you you say many great things about it, about the community and and the the, the team building, and to the fact that you know Trina has has uh, Trina Crosby has used to babysit your kids at some point as well, and it just seems like this handshake of community. Did you, were you surprised at the fact that you had these two worldwide talents coming out around the same time? Or did you just think it was a matter of time that a community like Cole Harbor would produce two players like this? It's, uh, I, I call it, it's good fortune. Like I, I remember NBC came up here and did a feature on it. Um, thinking, you know, what is it magic about Cole Harbor? And right. I said to them, I said, it's really nothing. I said, you know, it's. It's the individual kids. They have a lot of skill, a lot of talent, and we're just fortunate enough that they came through here. And um, I've said it many times, the best and worst thing that's ever happened is those two coming through. (laughs) (laughs) Because the best thing is, you know, you've got, it's just amazing and it's wonderful for the community. And um, the the worst thing is that some parents think, uh, and I kid you not, think coming here is going to make their kid um superstar superstar do you have do you have parents moving to cole harbor because they think that's going to help their the prospects of their kids is that what you're saying they did they did (laughs) i know that for a fact (laughs) i I had a parent call me asking where they if where the boundaries were so that their kid would be coming here and they ended up playing on our team was a good player um but you know it's it's it's, being in a location isn't necessarily what's going to make you a well, great boss. Necessarily, but, yeah. but having the right coaching staff. Having the right coach and having the right community can certainly, I mean, you, you got to create an atmosphere that's going to produce diamonds. You know, it doesn't just happen out of nowhere. And it seems like at least for a time, you guys had created this, this atmosphere and environment where two diamonds came out. And, and, and I know I mean, the theme of this podcast is is how humble you've you've been. I mentioned that in the introduction, and every time I kind of turn to you and say, "What what impact did you have?" You sort of defer, whether it's to someone else or to the kids themselves. But there has to be an element there that you had a part in, and that the community had a part in. Has has that changed since the attention that's been brought on Coal Harbor, or do you like to play your part in maintaining that more traditional community element? And and has have you seen success in doing so? I, I, I'm definitely a community. The community element is huge to me. Like it's changed Coal Harbor in that aspect has changed um, in that we've become part of the HRM, the municipality and um, you know, I, I wor- that's the one thing that I worry the most about is from a community aspect is right. you can see losing some of that sense of community sure. as this area develops like or hrm like we're i think if, it, if i'm not mistaken we're the fastest growing province in canada H- hrm for the listener halifax regional municipality yeah. yes yeah and we're i think the fastest growing province in canada and it's um 
community of Coal Harbor, I've seen it. It's become more, you know, everything's become more government uh, or become more bureaucratic. And right. uh, that part of it is, that's not up my alley. Um, <laughs> is, is there um, any going back or, or is this just the natural progression of things? Um, I'm hoping it goes back. Like we try to, that's one thing we definitely try to do within our, and I'm sure most, almost every coach does is try to teach that sense of community and make the team a sense of community and the family. It's been very difficult the last two years with COVID. Um, you know, it's, it's really developing that sense of community within your team and within your association is, is difficult. And there are people, you know, minor hockey, um, is is a community in itself and in each area right across this country and i think coal harbor we had a very strong sense we do i just worry about uh some of the more bureaucratic aspects of it that sure jumped into and there's always going to be a sentimentality i think towards the way things used to be and then you look at something like like right or wrong, the way things used to be harbored, no pun intended, the likes of Nathan McKinnon and Sidney Crosby, you know, changing that, will that limit the potential for that happening again? As long as people like you are there, I'm sure that won't be the case, but, but it's got to, it's got to worry you a little bit. Now, I know we did talk a lot about, about hockey in that regard, uh, but you were also a baseball coach and I, I'd love to get some insight. I mean, you've mentioned that, that with Sydney, you used to travel around winning games and tournaments as well in, in the realm of baseball. Not many people may know this, but he's got a significant background in baseball, thanks to the likes of you coaching him through those tournaments. What was that like? Was there ever a thought that maybe it wouldn't be hockey, maybe baseball could be his sport? He, he would he, again. The team I coached was, um, if you want to call it an all-star team, top-level team, and he made it as an underage player. Hmm. He was a huge impact player, but I, I saw him play hockey, and <laughs> you know, he was a great ball player, but he, you know were just beyond and he was and don't he would have definitely been someone who made an impact like i'm someone who believes you don't look at kids at a young age sydney was the one exception we remember sitting in our basement at hockey going oh my god this kid could get drafted first overall and this is at 12 and 13. i don't believe you do that i I hate putting the but i would quietly talk with one of my assistants i wouldn't even say it in public very often but i would say oh my god like i mean he's just beyond he was doing things you know you just and i hate to say it but a peewee you almost couldn't coach him offensively because his mind was ahead of what your mind was like he oh, could wow. do things on the ice that i wouldn't have never i remember the one time he banked the pass in full game speed off the side of the net up front to Corey banfield the player who played with him and i I looked myself and the other coach looked at each other on the bench and said, yeah, that on purpose. Like, I mean, cause it just wouldn't, the angle that he did it was just incredible. And, um, you know, how do you, you know, we, we try and we do, we emphasize the kids about defensive and protecting the puck and move, passing the puck and not, <laughs> but he could do things besides that. That's amazing. And, yeah. And in <laughs> baseball, he, he had the same mind and he had the same ability. I remember he went out and practice opposite field at a minor ball field 
that at a young age, and I mean, kids just didn't hit it out of that field, but he hit it out opposite in practice. And well, speaking speaking of hitting hitting it out of the field, there there was that video that was circulating years ago at this point where the Penguins went to go play where the Pirates play, and they were kind of doing like a little makeshift home run derby. And Sydney, on relatively early on into his his swings, uh, knocked it out of the park. Is there part of you as his coach thinking, uh, yeah, I taught him that? Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I can tell you a quick little story about coaching Sydney and Ball, though. Sure. First, I, uh, first year I lost, uh, so I lost an eye to cancer. Um, 20, well, actually, Sydney would have been 89, so 25 years ago. Anyhow, that summer, so the, the operation was in May. Uh, May, May 1st, I think it was. Anyhow, um, I'm coaching ball. So I'm driving Sydney to the game in Halifax. And this is just like a week or two after I had lost my eye. Um, so came to a four-way stop. And of course, not <laughs> being used to driving, I made a mistake and pulled out in front of a uh, guy in a motorcycle turned out to be like the hell's angel guy oh, he no. ran into the side of the van that i was driving <laughs> sydney was in the past um going to the ball game oh, we, we made it to the game in time and it wasn't something and i knew trina would be like i'm not having him drive with paul anymore <laughs> <laughs> it was just after losing my eye but yeah i was i, I had sydney's first car accident with him yeah. <laughs> well, there's there's a, a, a hell's angel out there with quite a story. You know, probably didn't know he, who was he wouldn't even know him, it. Yeah. You, ask. you know what? There's two two stories that I I think I, again I've told before about the the hand eye cord coordination of the you know we talked about hockey yep. talk about how he picks up baseball he's hitting it out of the park in a in a professional and at, at the Pirates uh, new building. Uh, two times that I when I was first working with Sydney once was at a Tim Hortons golf tournament. Where they put Sydney on the golf on on a hundred and fifty yard par three, so he could hit one shot for every foursome coming through. Right, and it was over a pond, not much room to work with, and he had just started taking up the game. And I had played for years, and I'm watching him, and I don't think, out of I don't know how many groups there were, forty four groups that came through, he missed the green maybe four times, went in the water maybe once, and he had just picked up the game. The second time was at his uh, birthday party out in, uh, uh, was that golf course? Uh, you were there, I think, Paul. Tarver. Right. So there was a, a skeet shooting range. Oh, right. So we all go, it's the first time I've ever picked up a gun. I'm not sure that Sydney ever had either. <laughs> and the things are going across like, I can't hit one of these clay pigeons <laughs> to save my life. And within about three times, he was he was killing it. He was just knocking them all down out of the air. Just blew me away how quickly he can pick up on something like that. And that's that's a special talent. That's just inbred in you. And it, and if he doesn't pick up on it, he will do it until he does it better than anyone. Exactly. Else. That's <laughs> exactly that's the mentality, right? You know, I keep thinking about it's it's always amazed me the fact that he says, you know, I was never the most talented in this and that. But but it does seem like the consistent story is just the dedication. Um, is, is there an element? I know, I know you kind of pulled away from this one before, but is there something you coached him for three years, uh, in, in some of his most formative years as well? Is there a part of his game that you look at now and know that there was a, there was something that, that you 
imbued into it, you know, a, a certain play style or a certain mentality that he has that that you did play a part in in developing in him? No, I, I think, you know, uh, uh, like when Sidney showed up, his his abilities were beyond, and you know, I I, you, I don't think to take any credit in what he does, like because I'm a believer. I consider myself a very heady person, like the game and developing plays that might be uh, the other teams won't pick up on, uh, you know, making the kids think on the ice. I, mm-hmm. I really, that's a big part of what I try to do with some of the, and it, it increases the focus of the kids and the teams. Um, you really get buy-in. If you challenge the kids to do something they typically wouldn't do. You know, so I think he might've enjoyed some of the aspects of that. Right. Um, the community, the, team aspect the um doing the right thing that's something his parents would have imparted in him that's something we i strongly emphasized i think i think you know i think sydney's appreciation of community i think he would have definitely seen how i that was a strong emphasis of me i think okay yeah so i think that part of um you know i think he sees and maybe he respected what i was doing and things but to, to and it's not being humble to say any any skill, you know, I, I developed it like any other coach. I sure. think he, and there was just something there that maybe he thought about my aspect of community or my, um, maybe some of the way I did some coach, some of the things that that's, he appreciated. That's great. I mean, and, 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 and answer that, that almost, yeah, you know, the skill, sure. Let's, let's just, he's, he's as skilled as he's going to be. And, and you didn't, you didn't, you didn't teach him how to do that bank pass off the top of uh, the back of the net, but yeah, the sense of community, that's great. I mean, that's what you're all about. And you continue to preach that. Speaking of, uh, there is the Sydney Crosby hockey school that you've been involved with uh, year to year. Uh, obviously, with the past couple of years with COVID, uh, taken on a different form. Hopefully, we get back in full force as well. What was your involvement with that? And, and do you want to talk a little bit about what that was all about? Sure. The uh, Sydney's foundation, looking to, you know, it's a, it was a two-way a two-part thing. You you could get people who can afford, and we the thing about the Sydney's hockey school. You know, you could have put a price tag on that hockey school, of right? So fifteen hundred two thousand dollars, yeah. and you would have filled it and for sure. The idea was to give kids not you know an an opportunity to come to Sydney's hockey school, make it affordable, but those that can and uh, you know afford to come and it, and it supports kids who might not have the opportunity as well like sydney's foundation so um we ran it in coal harbor and um i talked first year that we did i talked to sydney and troy and trina and um then we met with others along the way and it, it, they you know said can you get volunteers and we'd have more volunteers than we'd ever need and very highly qualified yeah and 100 percent of the people everyone it's all done on a volunteer basis. And we had kids come from all over the world. Um, every province in Canada, we had, I don't know how many states that applied. And we uh, basically geographically, we would make sure there was representation from everywhere. And there's good representation from our hometown. Um, so every province and territory was represented. Uh, every state that applied, one person would come. Um, and same with every country in the world, we'd make sure that there was at least one person that was represented. That's amazing. Um, and again, though, the skills that we, you know, it, it, 
you didn't have to be an elite hockey player to come. Um, and unfortunately, we've had a because of COVID, had to postpone a game this year. The original plan was possibly to have a game this year, but um, it, it's about developing the skills you have, being respectful. Um, we had the captain's awards that were with each group of kids was about what type of person you were with the other your teammates, mm-hmm. and not about your ability. Um, right. And the, you know it, it. It's a very rewarding hockey school from not just for the kids when they come Sydney said he made one of the things that he did was he made a part of it that every he was going to meet every kid one-on-one amazing yeah. that was okay. amazing 160 kids <laughs> <laughs> we got to schedule this into a hockey school um you know and you know he had always had special guests and parents there was sessions for the parents to attend and, um and so i headed it up and um the on ice, I'd do half the on ice, and then Mike Chase on did the other lead and the other half, and then we had some fantastic, you know, local guys at Coach University. Some played pro, and Jim Midgley, who's now with the Rangers, he volunteered time to come out and do some stuff. Like, it was just a great sense of community. We were thrilled too to be involved. Uh, you know, Sydney wanted to make sure that everybody. He knows one. They're there to play hockey. Two. They're playing with the best player in the world, and 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 he's on the ice. And as you said, meeting every player, talking right. to every kid. And it wasn't just Sydney. His mom and dad were there, uh, folding jerseys and and making the gift bags. And we were there taking photos and framing on site, uh, so that everybody had a photo with Sydney. And then we framed it, and they all got one after the thing. Um, Taylor Crosby was there on the ice coaching kids. It was a, a community effort, a family effort. And I'll tell you what, if, if you had the opportunity and they could have filled up 10 camps. Right. And also very important to understand that Sydney can do so much, so many things a lot easier to raise more money for the foundation. Right. right. I mean, it was so much work that, that everybody put in and you know, there wasn't, a huge amount of money raised. It was more about the experience. I could do something in in a day that would raise more money than that uh, for less amount of work. Sure, but Sydney wanted to do this. Yes, and he still wants to do it if he can get back there. So get prepared, Paul. You know. Oh, I know. <laughs> I, the plan was to do it. It's uh, it, and I, you know, I I do it on a heartbeat. Like we also had. It reminded me, like you know, I. I was a school principal, but special events are sort of my, I love doing them. And it wasn't just with Sydney, just even special events around here, the hockey tournaments, Atlantics or anything at all. Um, and then I remember when he first won the cup, I was doing an auction, an auction year as well. And uh, uh, I, I get a call on my phone. Um, it was the day after they won the cup. Would you um, help organize the parade for you know for when sydney comes back or help organize the event the parade wasn't really it was gonna be a parade sure and, um, <laughs> never realized what was gonna happen like you know i'm thinking okay we're gonna have a parade and and we did it up like it was and and you know a lot of people think it was hrm this was on sydney's time and um I mean, we had a concert there and we had, but I, I'm, I was organizing it and I'm like, you know, 
originally, I'll never forget, I said, who do you want? You know, he wanted to have a private event at the house and then one for the public. And, uh, originally he said, oh, maybe we'll get Nickelback or uh, in Great Big C. And I said, okay. And then I'm thinking, how in the hell do I get those guys to come? What do I do here? So I started making a couple phone calls. <laughs> and Great Big C, what's his name? Um, uh, Alan Lee Doyle. Alan Doyle was yeah. filming with Russell Crowe at the time. And so, in England, I think, right? Scott. So, or, yeah, Scott, it could be England. Yeah. But anyhow, uh, so when I got a hold of the right people there, they said, no, he can't. He's filming there. And I said, okay. And then next day I get a call back. He wants to come. <laughs> so they changed their scheduling. Um, and then, he, you know, Sydney just does it upright. He had a ball hockey tournament. So every minor hockey association in this region send Timbits out and they had a little ball hockey tournament. They all got replica mini cups and amazing. Um, he, you know, and, and Brian, I wanted to go back to the hockey school. I still to this day get comments and calls from people who, the picture that you gave them with, with them with the cup when the kid, each kid was there with, with the picture with the cup, like, I think it was where you took the photo in the scotia yep. too. Yeah, that they still say that's their greatest keepsake. And I mean, that was, oh, wow. that was a few years ago. Um, but we did the the parade was unbelievable. How many people were here? Cold Harbor bedroom community twenty five to thirty thousand. It was estimated there were eighty thousand people here. Wow! Uh, it was it was insane and i remember the burgers sorry another little side story <laughs> we're outside of coal harbor place and, and we've got so this is going on there's shooting pucks in the dryers we had bouncy castles we had the concert we had a question and answer session um with sydney and um uh Tal max talbot came down with them mm -hmm. um so it, it was just a lot going on we had volunteers doing barbecues Part of the package was we had uh, um, Maple Leaf, I believe it was. I can't remember the exact sponsor, but we had to have pre-cooked burgers. Two days before, they said, "You know what? We can't. We're going to get. We can't. We can't them from somewhere else." I said, "Fine. Just make sure they're here." But they didn't pre-cook them. Oh no! <laughs> oh no! They're trying to close it down. There. So and but I mean, there's eighty thousand like people. You couldn't even move. So, and we had barbecues everywhere and I'm going, oh my God, we can't. So I'm going around going, cook as many burgers as you can real quick until that guy gets a hold of me. <laughs> we had to, once he got a hold of me, we had to stop cooking the burgers. <laughs> oh, wow. You know, yeah. what's funny. I, I think about this all the time. And, and that's one of the things I love talking about on this podcast is, is so many things in the realm of sports, whether it's a parade, whether it's a camp, whether it's a hockey game. There are so many ins and outs that go into the final product. And a lot of people just look at it and think that it happens behind closed doors. They don't have to worry about. But imagine telling someone that in order to put together the parade for the Stanley Cup, which they're just showing up to assuming it's happening, you had to find a second supplier for hamburgers like the weird attention to detail that goes into these things it, it's always it's always staggering and it's great to have people like you at the helm ensuring that they that they go uh uh in in a direction that's going to make everybody happy I, I cole harbor place is is where the 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 hockey school took place as you as you as you had mentioned there was one year where and this may have actually happened multiple years but one year specifically i remember being there where 
there was a rumor that Sydney was going to bring the Stanley Cup to the hockey school, and that actually ended up happening. Was there was there a story behind that, or or what was it? What was that like to get that on the ice? Um, he so he that that hawk that year the hockey school was on his birthday, I believe, um, and he brought the pictures. He brought the um, on the Friday afternoon. He brought in the cup, and that's where. The pictures were taken out on Scotia too with each kid, but the right. place went absolutely like him bringing the cup into there and every kid in that camp getting their group picture with the cup was just, um, you know, the kids were just beside themselves. And I didn't know children had the ability to make that mud. I mean, I knew they could make noise, but that was deafening the sound yeah. that it made when he walked into onto the ice rink with the Stanley cup. Well, it was- keep in mind too. That every day of that camp, the stands were filled yes. with parents who were, in, you know, obviously allowed in. Yes. But they kind of held it to that because you can't just have the general public on. It would have been a zoo. It was a big enough party and every all the parents were in the stands because they didn't want to miss a minute. And I think the surprise was Nathan McKinnon also showed up that year as as well. So it was uh, just like, what what an event. Imagine as a kid. Getting you know, I think it's a testament experience. to Sydney as well and his family that... You know, a lot of players will come in, they take the cup, they go to somebody's backyard, and they bring all their family and friends, and that's the end of right. it. Sydney made sure that everybody that he could possibly get outside of his close personal friends and family had an opportunity to share in that victory with him from the parade to the, you know, he had a private po- concert in the back uh, for his family and friends, but he also made sure that there was one for the public, the yeah. parades, the the things that he did outside of that, bringing right. it. And and here's a another little side story. Um, when I was in San Jose, and and Troy and Trina managed to find a way to get me into the dressing room to celebrate Game Six after they won the Cup. Right. And I was amazed at the fact that I got in probably 40 minutes after they were all in there, so it was pretty wet and everything spraying Champagne around. Champagne everywhere. Sydney yeah. still had the cup in his hands, and he would not put it down because he realized that everybody from teammates to family to friends to Mario Lemieux, would want to have a picture of them drinking out of the Stanley Cup with him holding it. Right. Not that he was egotistical and say, oh, I got to be here. He just knew that that was what everybody wanted. And I got in 40 minutes later, and he was still ready for me to take the picture, which was one of the greatest moments well, it's, in sports it's, for me. Talk about the, the, uh, you instilling that sense of community. I mean, hockey is a community, uh, and, and I think Sydney has a great understanding of that, of what it means to everyone who's involved to, to be a part of it, not from a sense of ego, as you mentioned, but because it's a sense of history. You know, he is a, an historic player in the league, and that was an historic moment, and people want to take their pictures with history, and, and perhaps had he not crossed paths with you, Paul, uh, perhaps uh, uh, he may not have thought to do things like that, you know, between you and his parents and the community of Cole Harbor, teaching him what kind of got him to where he was in the community around him, and now he wants to give back, and it just feels as though uh, you don't develop that in in an echo chamber or, or in a vacuum on your own. That has to be instilled in you by by the people you're being raised with, and and with that, as we as we kind of get closer to the end of, of the recording, I kind of want to lead off and give you an opportunity to speak to a quote that I read uh, that you had said. Um, uh, and, you know, we're, we're talking a lot about Sydney, and, and that's in no way to say that your entire career revolves around your relationship with him. But but there are a lot of questions that we have. We talked about all the success you've had in your co- coaching career as well. But a global news interview that you had, uh, you, you had given a quote where you said, Sydney is a better person than he is a hockey player. 
And I'd love for you to elaborate on what that means to you. He, it's, it's about his sense of community. Um, he, you know, you hear the stories and I, I hear some of them more because people would, will come to me locally and Satan would never tell me some of these things, but someone was at the airport and didn't have film, a film, I think it was, or something or a battery. And he went, Sydney went out to his car to get it so that they could take a photo. Um, huh. Like those types of things, like if someone, someone had a sign out where he lives and he, you know, he stops on the way home, you know, congratulations. And he drops in to see the people and um, he does those things. He recognizes them. Um, he recently came home here for the, uh, during the all-star break, he was home and uh, wanted to skate, but I, couldn't find him in the ice that was you know he wouldn't take ice that my kids had for practice like i told him i should probably you know give him a half hour of it or something but he said is there an outdoor rink so a local guy had an outdoor rink a friend of mine that i called and um have any teams coming out to play on your rinks tomorrow morning he said no um he said do you want to bring your team and i said no i said but i know someone who wants to skate and do you mind if they come out so they went out and skated Sydney and goaltender and another guy here, Fozzie, um, but he is. And, but at the end, it's all said and done. And, and, you know, the guy was just tickled pink that Sydney would be out skating on his ice. But Sydney signs. And this guy is another, I call him another, he's a quiet pillar of community around here. He, he any team in Cole Harbor that wants to bring their team, he, he, he doesn't have kids playing hockey anymore, but he keeps this rink. Um, and he has a millet cup. He has a metal cup. And you bring your team out. You have fireworks. Plays out Canada. Wow. Bonfire shed for the kids to change in. So it's all. Uh, he he continues to do it, and um, so we allowed Sydney out there. But in the end, Sydney takes a stick, and you know no one's asked him or does it. And he takes a stick, and he goes, "John, thanks, thanks for having me on the ice. The ice is great." Uh, maybe one day I'll play in the Millet Cup and he signed the stick and gave it to him. And oh, amazing. For him to include all of that in the writing, like it, it's just so thoughtful. It's so, yeah. uh, he always does the right thing. And to me, that's something that I value tremendously. And uh, so I, uh, that that's 100% why, what I meant by that. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, look, Paul, uh, we're, we're uh, towards the end of this interview, but I just wanted to thank you once again for coming on and and uh, telling us about your story and and what it was like growing up in the community of Coal Harbor, uh, harboring these two superstars and Nathan McKinnon and Sidney Crosby, some insight into the early days in his career. Uh, what else are you involved in? Anything you want to tell our listeners to check out? Uh, is there perhaps a charity that they can donate to or something to get some information that you're involved in? No, I just, I'm involved, like, uh, I'm actually doing another podcast tomorrow, support of a tournament that we have here, Joe, Joe LaMontagne March Break Hockey Tournament, um, and I'm uh, involved, and it's, again, Sydney, there's another thing Sydney does, he has, um, so I do the Sydney Crosby shootout, so Sydney sponsors, so we all, I've been involved with this March Break Tournament forever, since it started, but 40 years ago, and we, one year, Again, here goes a story. Sorry. <laughs> One year we have uh, the ice. We had too much ice and we didn't, we didn't know how to get rid of the ice. But they used to have battle, the NHL stars. They used to have a competition, the shootout competition, breakaway competition. I don't right. know if you remember it. Yep. They used to play shoot against one another and they'd advance on and you'd watch it every Saturday night in Hockey Night in Canada, see who advanced. 
And uh, I said, but why don't we do that to see if, you know, when I'll put it in the local paper and, you know, if we can get kids to come out and pay $5 each and the winners can get trophies. I said, maybe we can get enough to pay for some of the extra ice we have. So we did it and it, it, it was nuts. We had put the tournament two and a half hours behind, like people, kids showed up from everywhere. It was wow. ridiculous. So out of that, we realized, you know what, we have something here. So now the tournament has the Sydney Crosby shootout where every team, so we just hit, my team just had our competition and the kids all look forward to it. And um, you get three shooters and a goalie. So every team in the tournament, three shooters and a goalie, and we book ice and it's way more organized than that first year we did it, but they compete and the winners get a, you know, $350 stick goalies get a goalie stick and they get um, their shirts and there's been hoodies and hats and shoot. Every participant gets a pin. And again, Sydney pays, this is all in his dime. Um, and it's for every division. So my involvement, I run those for the tournament. So, but they're a huge, huge part of the tournament. We, the ranks are filled people for every shootout they come in and watch the shootouts it's fantastic uh, that's awesome so go out if you're out there listening uh i'm sure you can google the sydney crosby shootout to get some more information on that and uh and maybe you know read some of the articles about paul uh a fascinating person with a ton of great things to say about a fantastic community as well um and and we thank you for coming on and you're more than welcome to join us uh, uh yet again maybe we'll get you on a couple months from now and we'll we'll do a little bit of a check-in to see how that tournament went uh but paul thanks once again uh for joining us on this week's episode of the sign-off podcast for Paul Mason, Brian Aaronworth, president of Frameworth Sports Marketing, and myself, Mikey Aaronworth, host of the sign-off podcast. This is us signing off. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we made it to the end of yet another episode. Thanks again so much for joining us. You can find videos of all of our episodes on YouTube by searching the Sign Off Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at Frameworth Sport or Instagram at Frameworth Sports. And hey, if you're not sick of me yet, you can find me on Twitter over at, at Retrograde Mikey, or you can always find me embarrassing myself over on Instagram at Aaronworth. The Sign Off is a proud product of Fadu Productions and Sad Styles Productions, executive producers Mikey Aaronworth and Andrew Bascom. Until next week, this is Mikey. Mikey Aaronworth, signing off. Furnished by Sad Styles Productions. Get into it!